going to go into all the wonderful stories about what a great friend she is. Anyway, it's one of those cup of cold water things, right? <laughs> anyway, so um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to study your word together and look into the life of a man who truly sought you first in his life and who prayed first uh, and asked your opinion and your wisdom. And we just pray that you would help us to be uh, women of faith that look to you first and look out for things of of the Lord before our own agendas. And Lord, I pray for Dawn. I thank you for her gifts, Lord, and her willingness to study and teach. And I just pray your blessing on her this morning as she teaches us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody hear me? Yeah? Thumbs up? No? No? Closer? It wants to fall down in my scarf. Is that better? Yeah, yeah. Is that better? No? Not really? No. Okay. Hmm. We're going more personal. We don't mind. That's fine. Okay, how's that? Let's try that. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, good, good. Okay, this this thing is a little tricky. So uh, I'm ready for spring. What do you think? Huh? Anybody wear sandals today? No? No? I thought about it. I thought about it, but then I had to do a little reality check that it is still February. <laughs> But it's going to be 70 today, so. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that. There you go. There's your first good news. Well, this is my first Bible study talk, and I must admit, I was feeling pretty ill-equipped when asked to do this. So I first have to give thanks to a couple of people who came beside me and helped me. I want to thank Sarah Gamage and Marianne Soper and all my friends that have been praying for me, people that have texted me this week and my Bible study group. So I'm thankful for that. Well, I have three boys all in their twenties and thirties now, but when they were home, we like to do a family movie night. As you can imagine, my vote for the romantic comedy never won, (laughs) but one movie we could agree on was a fugitive. So in the movie, Harrison Ford is wrongly accused of his wife's murder and Tommy Lee Jones is hunting him down after Harrison escapes from transport to a jail. Tommy Lee Jones doesn't care that he's innocent. He just wants to win and track him down. In a famous quote of the movie, Tommy Lee says to his marshals who are searching for Harrison, listen up. Our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, four miles an hour. It gives him a radius of six miles. What I want from each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, and outhouse. Well, I picture Saul gathering his men and saying something similar as we begin our study of 1 Samuel 23, where David is on the run and being hunted down. If you're taking notes, we're going to be looking at the text in three separate sections. As Dale Ralph Ralph Davis does in Looking on the Heart, section one, 
verses 1 through 13, we'll talk about divine access. Section 2, verses 14 to 18, divine encouragement. And finally, verses 19 to 28, divine providence. As we study this passage, I'd like you to consider three things. Consider how you value your divine access to God. What are ways that God provides encouragement to you? And finally, consider all the ways that God orchestrates the details of your life and provides for you. Coming from our previous chapters of 21 and 22, we see the stark contrast being drawn between Saul and David. Saul opposes God and his purposes and seeks to kill God's chosen king. And he is ultimately unsuccessful in all he does. In contrast, David seeks God and obeys and trusts his God. David protects his people and fights for them, defeating their enemies. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. As it says in Acts 13, 22, he raised David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do my will. Saul does not care about his people. He almost had his own son killed. He just killed 85 priests at Nob. And as Nancy Guthrie says, he is in a downward spiral of sin. He does not seek God. And when he does, God is silent. Worse yet, he relies on his own plans, intel he receives, intimidation, and he does not rely on the Lord. Saul is enraged with jealousy and hunting David like an animal, hoping to ruthlessly kill him. But God has a different plan. God protects his anointed. Make no mistake, this story is about God prevailing. God orchestrates all the details of the story and protects his anointed for his purposes. David relies on divine guidance and is obedient. As Tremper Longman says, David acts like a faithful king to the land despite being on the run from the current king. Let's look at our first section, verses 1 through 13, and divine access. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So we begin with David receiving some information that the Philistines are looting the threshing floors of Keilah and taking the grain. In an agricultural society of ancient Near East, grain was a highly valued commodity. Grain that was on the threshing floor was at the end of a long cultivating process, and taking it would weaken the enemy as they would have no bread. The first thing David does in this situation is pray. But his divine access to God must be through the high priest and the ephod. We are told in verse 6 that Abiathar has escaped from Saul. And he's joined David and he has brought the ephod. Remember in chapter 22, verse 23, David told Abiathar that he would protect him. And now he comes to him in Keilah. It is significant to note that Abiathar is now the only priest that has escaped. And as mentioned, he has the ephod. So what is an ephod? 
This is a sacred vestment worn by the high priests. And we know from Exodus 28 that it was gold, blue, purple, and scarlet and had 12 precious stones representing the tribes of Israel. There was also a breastplate, and that's what held the Urim and Thummim. Urim and Thummim were stones that were used by the priests to discern God's will. Scripture is not clear on exactly how they were used. There are some theories that maybe they were cast as lots, and the way that they fell on the ground told them God's will. We're not sure because scripture does not detail that. The significance of this is that David has divine access to God. As Dale Ralph Davis says, everything hinges on Abiathar and the Ephod. By such guidance, David has success in both his attack and his escape. David inquires of God and hears clearly to go to Keilah. However, David's men are afraid. Let's understand that Keilah is on the border of the Philistine territory. So they're essentially going into the mouth of the lion. In addition, the men know that they are not only fighting the Philistines, but also Saul, who is hunting for them. So on behalf of the men and to assuage their fears, we read in verse four, David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. David and his men defeat the Philistines and inflict heavy losses. At the same time, Saul is pleased that David is in Keilah, as he probably feels that David has made a tactical error by going into a city that has walls and gates, which in Saul's mind will make him easy to capture. So Saul gathers all his men and goes to Keilah to attack David, believing that God is on his side and has given David into his hand. David wants to know if the people of Keilah, who he has just saved, will betray him and turn him over to Saul. And will Saul actually come? So he inquires of the Lord again. And in response to David's questions, the Lord reveals that David is indeed in danger. Saul will come and the people will unfortunately betray him. With this significant information and God's protecting hand, David was able to choose a different plan. Significant in this section is verses 2, 4, 10, and 12, where David inquires of the Lord multiple times. It is his first desire to seek the Lord and pray. This shows his focus is on God. He has great reason to fear, and we will see in Psalm 54, he's not oblivious to his situation and the ruthfulness of those that seek him but his focus remains on God and coming to him in prayer. A couple of weeks ago, Anthony preached on Daniel too, and he gave us a challenge. He described to us how Daniel's first response was prayer and asked if it was also ours. And he suggested that the answer reveals the extent to which we feel we believe that we are children of God. I've been praying about this talk since I heard I would be doing it. And several months into it, I felt the Lord telling me to pick up some material on prayer I had from Paul Miller. It was good for me to slow down and consider my prayer life, which at times feels disjointed and inconsistent. As Paul says, our anxieties and fears should be a springboard that sends us into the presence of God. I want to pray about all things 
But if I'm honest, prayer often feels difficult and I have trouble quieting myself and listening to God. Paul Miller is so honest and describes what he feels happens to most of us as we try to pray. And I can relate. He says, we start to pray, but then our to-do list pops into our head. And after that happens a couple of times and several failed attempts, we give up just thinking, I'm not good at praying. Also, we're so busy that slowing down feels weird and wrong. Shouldn't I be doing something? Shouldn't I be productive? We forget that prayer is just talking to God and we can do it at any time. It goes on to say that prayer should be like a great dinner party. The kind where you're having such great conversation and connection that you linger, you push the dinner plates aside, and you just stay and hang out. Sisters, we have divine access to our Father. Consider Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't have to find a priest or an ephod. Jesus has made a way for us to talk directly to God. We just need to slow down and pray and seek his guidance. But do we? Stormy O'Mardian, in one of my favorite books called Just Enough Light for the Step You're On, says, and I am paraphrasing, when our children learn to walk, they did it much better if they held on to one of our hands. But our goal was always to prepare them for the day when they would no longer need our help. And we were thrilled. And in my day, we brought out the video cameras (laughs) when we saw them experience the joy of walking for the first time. Well, learning to walk with our Heavenly Father is different. He wants us to reach up, grab his hand, but he doesn't want us to ever let go. In fact, his desire is for us to become more and more dependent on him for every single step. David does a good job of modeling what that looks like in this passage, as he is totally dependent on God for each step. Now let's look at our second section, verses 14 to 18, where we learn about divine encouragement. This section begins with letting us know that David is in Ziph. Saul is continuing to search for him every day, but as it says in verse 14, God did not give him into his hand. Despite Saul not being able to find David and his 600 men, Jonathan has no trouble finding David and comes to him in Ziph. They were last together in chapter 20 when they had a tragic and tearful farewell. Sadly, this will be the last time they see each other. 1 Samuel 23, 16 to 18 says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this, and the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. This is the third covenant between the two, 
the first being in chapter 18, the second in chapter 20. The terms of this third covenant are not given, but we can presume that it involves loyalty to each other. I feel like Jonathan deserves a shout out here. He is the son of the first king of Israel, and by rights, he should inherit the throne. But he has graciously accepted God's will and is not jealous of his friend. But he puts himself in harm's way to go and encourage him. He seems to take pleasure in the prospect of David's advancement to the throne. He had to be deeply rooted in God to be so courageous and to look away from his own interests to the interests of David. This visit from Jonathan is after the betrayal of Keilah, but before the betrayal of the people of Ziph. Dale Ralph Davis says, How well Yahweh times the encouragement of his servant David. Some questions we can't answer but are worth asking are, Without Jonathan's ministry to David, would the betrayal of first Keilah and then soon to be Ziph be too much for David to bear? Perhaps your visit to a friend during a difficult time may feel insignificant, but God can use us to remind each other of the promises of God and to strengthen each other. My friend calls it the ministry of presence, as sometimes it's just showing up that matters. Now let's look at our last section, verses 19 to 28, and God's provision. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh on the hill of Hakala, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you've had compassion on me. But go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there? For it is told me he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you, and if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. So as expected, the people of Ziph betray David and tell Saul all of David's hideouts. In the meantime, David and his men went to Maon and Jeshimon. Saul was on one side of the mountain, and David is on the other side of the mountain, as Saul is closing in on him. It seems Saul doesn't have much to do but just go and kill him. We're nervous for David. Will God show up? David writes Psalm 54 when he is in Ziph, and it's written in response to the betrayal of the Ziphites. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me, people without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. David prays for deliverance and quickly expresses confidence that God hears him. He lets go of bitterness and fear and praises the Lord instead. Derek Kidner points out in his commentary on the Psalms 
David is not surprised that Doeg the Edomite betrayed him. See 1 Samuel 22, 22. But now he's being betrayed by men of his own tribe. You can hear the desperation in these first couple verses as he asks God to vindicate him. He's honest with God about his fears and trusts that God will provide. I don't know if you've ever experienced that type of deep fear. I want to tell you about how God provided for me and my family. And you will notice I'll be evasive about some details for it's not my story, but one of my sons. I do, however, have his permission to share it. I share this to highlight God's providential care and protection. Several years ago, we went through a dark time with one of our sons that lasted several years. This dark time was unfortunately a result of his poor choices that he made. I had a great deal of anxiety in his life, as his lifestyle was not only dangerous, but also far from God. About halfway through the journey, my son called me one day to say two guys had found him and told him they were going to kill him that very night. I did what all, all of us do as mothers, and I said it would be okay, and I prayed with him for God's protection. When I got off the phone, I collapsed in a heap on the kitchen floor, crying out to God in prayer that resembled screaming more than praying. I called my husband, and we both cried and prayed. The next call was to our brother, Jacob Lee. He told me it was going to be okay and reminded me of the promises of God, much as Jonathan did for David, but he went a step further and he showed up and went to my son, putting himself in danger and ministering to him, telling him about God's love. Like Jonathan in our text, Jacob pointed my son to God, who would never leave him. My son was miraculously removed from the situation two hours after those prayers and put in a protective place where these men could not get to him. Something to this day I cannot explain. As a side note, the seeds that Jacob planted were cultivated some months later when my son gave his life to Christ. Again, a complete miracle. An answer to years of prayer. God is surely our help in time of need and will always be walking beside us through our trials. As Paul Miller says, it's in our suffering that we learn to pray. God cheers when we come to him messy, broken, screaming, crying for grace. Dependency is the heartbeat of God. We can come to him with all things. As Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is controlling all the details of David's life. David is miraculously removed from danger, ironically, by the Philistines attacking Saul. As we read in 1 Samuel 23, verse 27, a messenger came to Saul and said, Harry, come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul was forced to turn around and go home. Again, a complete miracle and answer to prayer. The hand of God was so evident that David and his men made a memorial and called it the Rock of Escape. I say to you, 
that I know, that I know that I know that God answers prayers. Why? Because I have seen it and I've tasted that the Lord is good. God rescued David from Saul as he rescues us from sin through the death of his own son. He may not always answer our prayers the way we think he should. As Tracy said, in this life, we will have afflictions. But through Jesus, God has proven how far he will go to rescue us from spiritual death. Maybe you are here and you don't know why. You aren't even sure about this God and you don't yet have a relationship with him. He holds out his hand to you and he says, come. Come messy, come sinful, but just come. If this is you, I encourage you to talk to one of us and we'll pray with you and for you. Maybe you're like Saul, trying to do life without God, without his hand holding you or guiding you. As Tremper Longman says, Saul did not have an attitude of submission to God's will. Saul wanted divine confirmation that his own will was correct. Consider how our confidence in ourselves and our plans, rather than God's, leaves us open to loving this world and living for pleasing others. God says, come, come messy, come broken and repent. Maybe you're feeling that tug to encourage a friend as Jonathan did for David. Don't delay and don't worry about what you will do when you get there. God will help you figure it out. Maybe you want to cry out to God for a situation in your life where you feel hopeless. There are times when life feels overwhelming, a cancer diagnosis, a job loss, a betrayal of a friend. Life's tragedies can leave us unsure of God's provision. Sometimes God puts experiences in our lives to teach us to trust him. He is standing right beside us, waiting for us to take his hand and know that he will provide. God says, come, we are daughters of the king and have access to our father. He encourages us and provides for us as we we have seen in this passage. He is faithful and will be with us through all things. Reach up and grab his hand. Like Carrie, music really speaks to me. There's a current song by Sanctus Real called My God is Still the Same. I'm not going to sing it for you. (laughs) Lucky for you. Uh, But those of you who know it, and I'm just reading an excerpt, will be singing it in your head. When did he break his promise? When did his kindness fail? Never has, never will. My God is still the same. When did he lose his power? When did his mercy change? Never has never will. My God is still the same. Just ask the words you prayed in desperation. If they're heard, they'll say, my God is still the same. Ask the grave if it's strong enough to keep hope in its chains. It will say, my God is still the same. Not once did he ever stop moving. Not once has he ever let go. Our God is in control. Let's pray. Father, thank you for saving us and giving us a place at your table forever. Remind us that we are your daughters and help us to always praise and trust you. Open our eyes to see your love and faithfulness and provision for us. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of scripture and your Holy Spirit, who, as Romans 8.26 says, 
intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Lord, help us to trust you and not be anxious, but to give everything to you in prayer with thanksgiving. Amen.